Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Did you know that such things as evil, even Satanism, and certainly the words of dying atheists prove that there's a God? I'm so excited today to share with you the second half of 10 proofs that God exists. These things have built my faith and strengthened me like you wouldn't believe, and I believe they're going to do the same thing for you. So listen and be blessed. This week, and I'm going to race through those five just to catch you up to speed if you weren't here, and then we'll look at the second five proofs that God exists. Remembering why are we doing this? Why do we need to know this? You might be sure in your heart that God exists. Um, I'll tell you what, you need to know for yourself that God exists so that you can explain it to other people. You can defend your faith, which is what apologetics means, is defending your faith in God, being able to explain it logically, all right? God is not illogical. He's very rational. He's very logical, and so are we. I've found that most every lie that comes from Satan is illogical. Look at your worries. Most every worry that you have is not logical. It's not logical. It's just an what if, and most what ifs are not logical. So let's look at this. Um, let me just share one apologetic scripture, another one I've shared, three of, two of them with you. Here's a third one. In Colossians 4, uh, verses 5 through 6, six it says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Okay, Paul is talking, the apostle Paul is talking to the Colossian Christians and outsiders, meaning non-Christians, non-believers. He says, be wise the way that you act towards them. Make the most of every opportunity, just like as this guy was doing with this young lady here. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everybody. So when somebody asks you about the theory of evolution versus creationism, now you should be able to answer it if you've listened to the message a couple of weeks ago. If somebody says, prove to me that God exists, that's what we're doing today and what we did last Sunday is be ready to be able to explain to any and everybody why you know that God exists. So let's launch right into it, summarizing last week five proofs that God exists. The first one that we covered was the predicted outcomes of people's lives. In the Bible, it's very clear. If you do this, this is going to happen to you. If you do that, that's going to happen to you. And so in Proverbs 10, 16, we found that the wages of the righteous is life. You look at a genuine Christian, a real Christian, and their life is genuinely a good life. Do they have problems? Yeah, they have problems, but they have a good life because they're blessed versus the, the wicked who's mentioned here. What are they? Full of sin. And you can see their lives full of sin, ultimately death. And you're going to see a lot of that in this message today. Number two, the second proof is nature in the universe. In Psalms 19 verses one through two, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. I'll tell you what, the Bible tells us that nature leaves us without excuse. Without excuse to what? Of believing that God exists. Just look at nature and it points you to God's divine 
nature and his existence. Number three is rational thought. Look at this quote that we mentioned last week from Dr. David Watson, a zoologist and a hardcore evolutionist. He said, evolution itself is accepted by zoologists not because it has been observed to occur or that it's supported by logical, coherent arguments, but because no other alternative explanation is credible. What is he saying here? Evolution does not have a logical, coherent argument to it. (laughs) All right? So rational thought, when you remove evolution out of the way, you're left with one thing and one thing alone, a God who created nature and the universe. One thing and one thing alone. And remember, it took us 30 minutes to debunk the theory of evolution as scientifically proven. Very easy. Go back and you can listen to it a couple of weeks ago. So here's an evolutionist saying it's not proven by science. It's not proven by logical, coherent arguments. And that leaves you with a God who created the heavens and the earth. We also have the logic of our experience. When we seek God, we seem to have peace. When we seek God, we have joy. When we seek God, we have answers, confidence. It's logical to believe that God exists because of our personal experience when we seek God. Here's the fourth one, through philosophy. Remembering that philosophy is asking and answering a bunch of questions about yourself, about the universe, about your purpose and your meaning in life, and whether or not a God exists. And in in Colossians 1.16, we find that everything got started in God and finds its purpose in him. So through philosophizing, which we all should do through thought, we come to the rational conclusion, hey, I'm going to find meaning only from God, my creator. I can't find meaning from anything else in this universe. We also looked at number five as a proof of of God's existence is any society, any culture, Even the cartels, even failed states like Libya and Somalia have rules and laws. It's just part of who we are. And furthermore, since the dawn of time, we've seen religion. Why is that? That's because we've been endued with a conscience. The imprint of the Almighty God has been stamped in our personalities, and we can't get away from the fact that God exists and that he has rights and wrongs, absolutes, moral rights and wrongs. But let's jump right into number six today. This is no longer summarizing, but jumping into what we're going to talk about today. And here's the sixth proof of God's existence, and it's this, dramatically changed lives. Lives that couldn't change themselves have been changed by God Almighty. And all I can tell you about is my own personal experience. When I got to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I stopped being a a spineless follower and began to lead almost immediately. It changed who I was. I was addictive in nature, and God changed me to to become more of a self-controlled person. And that's ever increased in my life ever since I made that decision when I was about 19 years old. I was lustful, and I became convicted of my lustfulness and changed because God changed me. I was twisted, and God straightened me out. I was mean, vicious with people. 
and God turned me into a kind-hearted, tender-hearted person, caring about other people's needs. I was distracted. God made me focused. I was lazy. God made me hardworking. I was dull. God made me serious. You can't tell me that God doesn't exist. He changed my life. And you know how I know. I tried to change myself, and I couldn't. I tried over and over to change my life, and God changed what I couldn't change. That proves that God exists. Jesus changes lives, and he changes people who can't change themselves. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. Jesus changes lives. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus changes lives. And it proves more than anything else, in my opinion, that God exists. Because you see people everywhere wishing they could change and they can't do it. Hasn't that been your experience as well? And doesn't that prove for you God's tremendous, powerful, divine nature to change lives? Let's continue on. Number seven is supernatural experiences evidence God's existence. In Mark 10, 51 through 52, the author of Mark documents a supernatural experience of a blind person. This blind person came to Jesus, and Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, which means teacher, I want to see. This guy was physically blind. Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Immediately, this blind man received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. How do you explain that without God? (laughs) How do you explain that without God? And we say, well, Steve... Who knows if the Bible, you know, maybe somebody just made that up or tweaked some things and and just brought up a, a neat story. You know what? I have been healed supernaturally multiple times. As a child, I was healed. I'll never forget a couple of years back, my back was causing this leg to go numb. And I would, every time I'd walk for 15 minutes, I'd have to sit down, kind of twist around, adjust my back, relieve a nerve so that I could walk another 10 or 15 minutes. And I started praying. My wife was praying. Others were praying. And God healed my back. You tell me God doesn't exist. We've seen God heal people of cancer. We've seen, uh, there's this man, uh, Ben Hodge, I'll never forget, he was healed of polio back in the 1950s when young people were dying left and right. And God healed this man until he passed on just a few years ago. He lived many, many, many years beyond having polio. Supernatural experiences indicate and show us that God exists. Number eight is considering the afterlife. Considering the afterlife leads you to the conclusion that God exists. Have you ever been to a funeral before? You might even think, every time you think of a funeral, it brings back incredibly sad thoughts. But I want you to go to that place right now, standing before that loved one or that friend, maybe even a stranger that's there in their casket. And you look there, and I've done this many, many times because I've been to many, many funerals. And I look at that 
that body and I say, that person still exists. You can't tell me that people just cease to exist after death. That person is not here any longer with us. He or she is somewhere, somehow. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, and the reason why we can't grasp annihilism, which is, is where people just cease to exist, the reason why we can't grasp that is it's found in Ezekiel 3.11 that God has set eternity in the human heart. He's put eternity in your heart. In other words, something beyond this life. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. Our minds are, are, are closed and we can't comprehend eternity. But at the same time, it's in us. Eternity is in us. We are not just rational animals as you would be taught in colleges and universities. We have the capacity to interact spiritually with God Almighty. Every single one of us has that capacity. And once again, it's evidence that God exists. Did you know that there's been 900 scholarly articles written and published in scientific and medical journals over the last 40 years of experiences, conscious experiences of people who were clinically dead and then brought back to life again? And they told of things that happened while they were dead, clinically dead, that only someone who was alive and aware could have known. Scientifically proven that stuff happens when people are clinically dead. If there's an afterlife then, <laughs> then there's a spiritual realm. And if there's a spiritual realm, we have to consider the existence of God. We have to consider it. But number nine, this is an interesting one. The presence of evil and even Satanism proves the existence of God. If evil has a source, good has a source as well. In Matthew 13, 19, uh, it says here, when everyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand, understand it, the Bible says the evil one comes and snatches it away what was sown in this person's heart. The evil one. In other words, the source of all evil, which we know is Satan. Satan is the source of all evil. Do you believe in ghosts, demons, spirits? Absolutely we believe in that because the Bible is very clear of it. And we've experienced it. Have you ever had an evil experience? Sure you have. All of us have. There's a source of evil, and I'll tell you, there's also a source. More importantly, there's a source of good in this world. If Satan is the source of evil, God is the source of all good, of all righteousness, of everything that you want good in your life. That's going to come from God. In James 1.17, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, coming down from God, of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting sh shadows. All right? You know, through Satanism, though, <laughs> interestingly enough, their worship of Satan exposes at least their fear that, in their belief in God. Why would you choose Satan if you don't believe in God? 
It proves the very existence of God. Satanism is sometimes referred to as inverted Christianity by them. That's how they refer to the, 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 it themselves. But why would you be so obsessed about the cross of Christ enough to turn it upside down if you didn't fear the belief of God? And why would you follow Satan simply to oppose Jesus or to turn the pentagram just slightly so three, three points are, are aiming down to dis, disgrace or disrespect the Holy Trinity? I'll tell you what, even the demons believe in God. Why wouldn't you? It says here in James 2.19, it says, You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe and shudder. How could humans be so foolish to pursue atheistic beliefs? Now, interestingly enough, most Satanists consider themselves atheistic Satanists, which is interesting. But you know what? Regardless... If you, if you worship Satan, you believe in God, and that further proves things for us. Now, Anton LaVey, who started the, the, the modern-day satanic movement and was author of the, uh, well, he started the Church of Satan, and he wrote uh, a, a text that they, I guess they call the Satanic Bible. As he was dying, listen to what he said. <laughs> he said, oh, my, oh, my, what have I done there's something very wrong. His dying words. Don't you wonder what it is that he thought he did wrong? And what path he turned, that he wished he hadn't turned down? But that leads me to the 10th reason why God exists. 10th proof that, that God exists. And it's the dying words of atheists. The dying words of atheists. And I'm going to quote several here. I'll show them up here on the screen. I know you can read for yourself, but I'll read it to you anyways. Um, let's look at the first one. Thomas Hobbes was a, a political philosopher and atheist. As he was dying, said, I say again, if I had the whole world at my disposal, I would give it to live one more day. I'm about to take a leap into the dark. Now, is that the confidence that you want to have when you're about to die? <laughs> I'll tell you what, whenever I die, I want to have a huge amount of confidence of where I'm going and what comes next. Let's look at Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine was uh, a leading atheistic writer in the American colonies. And look at this, it's rather long. He says, stay with me for God's sake. I guess he was speaking to people that were with him. He said, stay with me. I can't bear to be left alone. Oh, Lord, help me. There's an atheist. What is he talking to the Lord for? Oh God, what have I done to suffer so much? What will become of me hereafter? I would give worlds if I had them. That the Age of Reason, a publication that he, he wrote that basically debated the existence of God, had never been published. Oh Lord, help me. Christ, help me. No, don't leave me. Stay with me. Send even a child to stay with me, for I am on the edge of hell here alone. If ever the devil had an agent, I have been that one. <laughs> the words of a dying atheist. He obviously was convinced there was a God. After all the work that he had done, after all that he had promoted against God, here he himself on his deathbed is declaring these things. Let's look at 
Sir Thomas Scott, Chancellor of England, until this moment I thought there was neither a God nor a hell. And these are dying words. Now I know and feel that they are both, and I am doomed to perdition by the just judgment of the Almighty. Wow. If that doesn't shake you up and say, you know what, I don't want to wait until I'm on, I'm on my deathbed to acknowledge God, I don't know what will. <laughs> I don't know what will. Look at, look at Voltaire. Man, I would say, I say famous here, but an infamous anti-Christian atheist who lived during the 1700s at the height of the French Enlightenment. He wrote many things fiercely opposing Christianity, Christianity, and I wish I would have put up a picture of one of his, a painting of him, very pride and arrogant individual, said this about Jesus long before he died. He said, curse the wretch. In 20 years, Christianity will be no more. My single hand will destroy the edifice it took 12 apostles to rear. This is the kind of atheist we're talking about. Not just somebody who says, I don't believe in God. No, he fiercely was trying to destroy Christianity in the 1700s. But here are his dying words. I'm abandoned by God and man. What happened to the atheist here? He said to his physician, I will give you half of what I'm worth if you will give me six months of life. But when he was told this was impossible, he said, then I shall die and go to hell. What happened? Where did his belief shift? Eternity was in his heart is what happened. Eternity was in his heart. His nurse said for all the uh, money in Europe, she would never watch another unbeliever die because it was horrible. All night long, he cried out for forgiveness. Man, do you believe God exists? What is it going to take for us to be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that God exists? And if he does, what are you going to do about it? Are you just going to say God exists? Or are you going to seek him out and find him and get right with God? Because God is calling each and every one of us now. Let's look at the next one, just a few more. Sir Francis Newport, he was head of the English Atheist Club. He was at his deathbed. And look at this. This is horrible. He said, you need not tell me there is no God, for I know there is one, and that I'm in his presence. He'd spent his whole life debating the existence of God. You need not tell me that there's no hell. I feel myself already slipping. Wretches, cease your idle talk. He's probably talking to his atheistic friends. Cease your idle talk about uh, being hope for me. I know I'm lost forever. Oh, that fire. Oh, that insufferable, the insufferable pangs of hell. Oh, that I could lie for a thousand years upon the fire that's never quenched to purchase the favor of God and be united for him with him again. In other words, if I could just be miserable for a thousand years, not eternity, just thousand years, and then it be over with. But it is a fruitless wish. Millions and millions of years will bring me no nearer to the end of my torments than one poor hour. Oh, eternity, eternity, forever, forever. Oh, the unsufferable pangs of hell. What is it going to take for us to come to the conclusion that God exists? His son is Jesus. He came to save us. We don't have to end like this. You don't have to end like this. Your friends don't have to end like this. Your family doesn't have to end like this. Use this opportunity, as you saw this man on YouTube, to reach people for Jesus. They need to hear about him. They need to hear about him. Let's look at the next one. 
Now this one is interesting. Joseph Stalin took Russia from Lenin, I think, after seven years. Was, went through as an ally of the United States and the Allied forces during World War II. And then promptly began to completely put out any level of religion in Russia. Killing, you know, by several different estimates, up to 30 or over 30 million people. Some of them for religious reasons, others for political reasons. But 30 million people put out. A very evil, godless person. But his, his daughter was interviewed uh, by Newsweek. And she said, my father died a difficult and terrible death. God grants an easy death only to the just. At what seemed the last, very last moment, he suddenly opened his eyes on his deathbed and cast a glance over everyone in the room. It was a terrible glance, insane and perhaps angry. His left hand was raised as though he was pointing to something above, bringing down a curse on all of us. That gesture was full of menace, and the next morning, he was dead. Oh, guys, you say, Steve, this is grotesque. You know what? It's time for us to get serious about God. And not just play church, but be who Jesus called you to be. Stop playing around. Please don't call yourself a Christian unless you have repented of your sins and you say, I put my faith in Jesus from this point forward. And I'm following his agenda for these few short more years that I have here on earth. But here's the last one. We talked about him last week. Jean Paul Sater. He was a, uh, lived last century, a French philosopher, playwright, uh, but absolute atheist. In fact, he described his existence as nauseating as a bare and valueless existence. This man was miserable because he didn't have God in his life. But look at his conclusions. In 1974, just six short years before he passed away, he said, I see myself as being that could, it seems, only coming from a creator. Something shifted in this man's thoughts, in his beliefs. This, however, is not a clear, exact idea. In other words, he said, actually, I don't think I just came from happenstance or chance or evolution. I was created, is what he was saying. Now, on his deathbed, he said, I do not feel that I'm the product of chance, a speck of dust in the universe, but someone who was expected, prepared, prefigured, in short, and being whom only a creator could put, put, could put here. And this idea of creating refers to God. Here's a man that shifted his ideas, and he was a, a, a diehard advocate of atheism. But these testimonies <laughs> prove that there's a God. From those who are staunchly opposed to God. Now, anybody can go onto the internet and download these. And so I didn't do that. I wanted to make sure that I had my sources correct. And I've got these sources displayed up here. Not so much for you to take notes, but for you to be assured that I did some homework on these quotes. These are legitimate. One of them, Voltaire's, for instance, in, in Wikipedia, says something entirely different. Don't believe that Wikipedia is some source of gospel truth. <laughs> But let's look in contrast, just to end here, at some dying words of Christians, Christian men and women. What kind of things did they say on their deathbeds? Look at this. 
The first one is John Bunyan, who wrote Pil Pilgrim's Progress. He said, weep not for me, but for yourselves. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who through the mediation of his blessed Son receives me, though a sinner, we shall meet to sing the new song and remain everlasting happily. This is totally different sound of someone who's diving into the dark or acknowledging hell now. Totally different. Let's read the next one. William Wilberforce, who abolished, he was an abolitionist, or abolitionist in the, uh, back in England. He said, my affections are so much in heaven that I can leave you without any regret, and yet I do not love you less, but God more. D.L. Moody, a mighty man of God uh, who ministered in the United States and in England, he says, I see earth receding, heaven is opening, God is calling me. Far more hopeful, far more assured, far more confident, and you can be as well. You can be as well. Martin Luther, into my, thy hands I commend my spirit, thou hast redeemed me, O God of truth. John Knotts, another powerful man of God, said these words when, when he was about to die. He said, live in Christ, die in Christ, and the flesh need not fear death. And then you have Jesus who hung on the cross, and his dying words was, were, it is finished. It is finished. In other words, your opportunity to get to God has been opened, and it is finished. It's available for you. So ten proofs that God exists. Look at these, we'll just sh throw them up here just for, for summary, for sake of summary, but the predicted outcomes of people's lives prove that God, God exists. Nature and the universe proves it. Rational thought, philosophy, human laws and religion dramatically change lives. I love that one. Supernatural experiences, considering the afterlife, the presence of evil, and then the dying words of atheists. Man, that should be imprinted on our mind. Why would I ever doubt the existence of God? And why would I ever doubt the love of God who gave his son Jesus to cover all my wrongdoings, all my failures, all my regrets? Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for this time together. Lord, I know this uh, probably is anything but entertaining this morning. But Lord God, church isn't necessarily here to be entertaining, God. We're here to draw closer to you, to look with seriousness and sobriety at eternity. Lord, to consider that our lives are only a short span of time and we must prepare for eternity. We must do what we're supposed to do to be ready, Lord God, so that when our time comes, we're prepared for eternity. Lord Jesus, we heard this morning that there's two things we must do in our preparations. First is repent of our wrongdoing. That's being transparent and saying, God, I have done wrong. And what I'm even doing now oftentimes is wrong. I acknowledge that to you, Lord Jesus. That's repentance. Oh, Heavenly Father, and the second thing we got to do, it doesn't just stop there with asking for forgiveness, for, for repenting, Lord. We must put our trust in God. We must put our trust in Jesus Christ who paid the price for our wrongdoing. Lord God, I believe right now the Holy Spirit is working in each and every one of our lives and our hearts. Lord, convicting and convincing us of sin so that we'll do something about it. Now, we can't pay for our own sins because, Jesus, you've already paid the price. But, Lord, we have to put our faith in you.
We have to put our faith in you. Now, with every head bowed and every eye eye closed, you know, when we get to heaven, there's not going to be any hiding in the shadows, you know, getting, uh, you know, somebody losing track, track of you. God knows each and every one of us. And we're going to have to stand before the judgment throne of God. And we're going to have to declare whether we've had Jesus. You know, if, if we've accepted Jesus into our lives and accepted his, the, the price that he paid. Or we're going to have to say, no, I tried to do it on my own. But I'd like you, if you would like to ask Jesus into your heart, to do that. Repent and put your faith in God. He's knocking on your heart's door right now. Would you raise your hand bravely and proudly right now and say, yes, I need the salvation that Jesus provides. I've done this hundreds of times myself. This isn't just a one-time deal. The Bible says we're being saved. And ultimately, when Jesus comes back, we will be saved. So I see many hands right now. (laughs) Would you talk to God right now? Would you say, God... I repent and I put my faith in you. I repent and I put my faith in you. Heavenly Father, Lord, each and every one of us is responsible for ourselves.